This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I am your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at BurnsClan. Follow at your own risk. And happy Black History Month, everybody. I am excited to be celebrating it here with the Pass the Mic and broader witness family, even though, of course, as you know, we are black 365 days out of the year, 12 months, we are always black, openly black, so to speak. But it is cool to come together and be able to celebrate our history and also dream together for what could be in our future. And that's why the theme at the witness for Black History Month is tell the story, untold past, unrestrained future. And to summarize, we want to see Black voices empowered, Black leaders appreciated, Black dreams embraced, Black stories told, Black lives valued, Black history celebrated, and yes, Black futures imagined. So that's the energy that you're going to be getting every single day here at The Witness. And to keep up with that energy, to keep that energy with us, you have to follow us on Facebook at The Witness of Black Christian Collective, on Twitter, and also on Instagram at The Witness BCC. Well, as some of you know, 2021, I have dubbed it the year of the listener. We want to hear from our listeners in every single episode if possible. And we're going to talk about the soul review that's coming up next week here in a second. But in the meantime, I just want to read some listener mail. Reverend Phillips sent in this beautiful note talking about how much Pastor Mike meant to him. And I wanted to read that for you all. He says, I just wanted to add my voice to the many who are so thankful to you both for PTM. It is a critical voice to us all, but particularly as a mirror of the brutal reality to those of us who have grown up being wittingly or unwittingly in the assumption that white European theology and expressions of Christianity are Christianity. PTM is a much needed tonic to help cure this terminal cancer. I love the way you put that. And thank you so much for listening, brother. It it really means so much to us that you would reach out and send that note. Also, Laura, another Germany listener. Listen, Germany is outpacing all the rest of the countries. What is going on here? I guess because I personally called y'all out. Again, I'm sorry. Y'all are amazing. Germany is the best fan base. Okay. But Laura said, I'm slow on the response, but I wanted to send another encouragement from an international listener. I've been a PTM listener for years, all but one of them while living in Germany, and the other year was when I took a sabbatical in New Zealand. I can't thank you enough for the ways that you have challenged me to grow and been an encouragement to keep advocating for justice. I hope this message is an encouragement that you're doing incredible work, and I hope my work is a positive support to the mission you are committed to. I thank God for you regularly, and I pray for you to have continued strength to keep representing Jesus well in all you do. I just read a portion of the note. There's so much that she put in that was very, very encouraging as an educator, how she's using PTM resources like The Color of Compromise. Also, the music video that we interviewed an artist named SO4 called White Jesus. 
it's just so much. Thank you so much, Laura, for being able to listen and reaching out and letting us know that this podcast blesses you. Now let's go to iTunes. I want to read a couple of reviews here uh, that came in recently. The first is from A Perfect Size 8. She says, thank you, Tyler, for reading King's Letter from Birmingham. Must confess, have never heard it in its entirety. Awesome job. Eerie, though, it could have very well been written today. Yes, that is so true. A. Baker Jr. writes, wow, thank you for this space. The spirit hit me through your voices, and I felt such peace. This podcast is such an encouragement. Well, you are an encouragement, A. Baker Jr. And then finally, Trav Diamond writes, so good, great guests, great content. Thank you so much. Listen, I appreciate this and I'm reading this because I want your voices to be heard and also because if you have not left a review or if you have not reached out and emailed, you have a question or you just want to say how much you appreciate the podcast feel free to reach out. Again, I have no idea why I'm putting out my personal email for The Witness, but here I am, Tyler at thewitnessbcc.com. I love reading your notes and I also love reading those iTunes reviews. And speaking of reviews, next week is the long anticipated PTM Soul Review. Listen, we have received some incredible voice. We have received some incredible voice notes. I can't wait to incorporate them within the podcast. If you have sent anything to my email, I have seen it. I have received it. Even if it's just a comment, thank you so much. Keep sending them. You can send them to Tyler at thewitnessbcc.com. Be sure that if you're recording an audio recording, if you're a black Christian who has a thought about soul, be sure to put your first name, where you're listening from, something you liked or disliked about the film, and make sure you put the subject line PTM Soul Review. I am very excited to be able to compile all these great listener thoughts and feedback. And also, I think some of y'all might need to start a podcast. Listen, we're trying to double our podcast suite. (laughs) Some of y'all have great radio voices. So let's talk. Let's talk. Okay. Now, today we have a great interview scheduled for you. One of my good friends, A.D. Thomason, has come on because he wrote a book entitled Permission to be Black, My Journey with Jay-Z and Jesus. And for those of you who don't know Adam or AD, AD is a three-time award-winning filmmaker and co-founder of Three Strand Films. He's also an adjunct professor at Kilns College, where he teaches on the history of human rights and justice, decolonizing your faith, filmmaking, and so much more. He's spoken in over 15 countries. He has his Bachelor of Fine Arts from Savannah College of Arts and Design with a fashion design focus. He is always stylish and fashionable. I'm always taking notes from him. He has a master's in biblical studies and a doctorate in education. He's working towards that right now. The book is called Permission to Be Black, My Journey with Jay-Z and Jesus. And the caption reads, throughout American history, black people were not given the freedom to acknowledge their suffering. A.D. Thomason believes that the Holy Spirit brings freedom and liberation as we're able to name our pain recognize its roots in history and society, and seek healing. While many saw a confident six-foot-five black man, A.D. Thomason lived most of his life in fear and anguish, deeply wounded by encounters with violence, abandonment, and family tragedy. A.D. uses his artistry as a poet and storyteller to share how he confessed his internalized pain and embraced the liberating joy of Christ. He writes for millennials, emerging adults, and anyone else who's ready to acknowledge the reality of racial trauma and our need to confront it. His powerful story gives you permission to be Black, to be Christian, and be the person God has made you to be. 
What better time to talk about being black and the permission to be black than at the beginning of Black History Month? So I hope you enjoy this conversation with my friend A.D. Thomason right here on Pass the Mic. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. Well, my brother A.D. is on the podcast with us right here on Pass the Mic. A.D., thank you so much for joining us, brother. Uh, it's an honor to be here. It's been a now while. You've been Yes. Now, you've been on the podcast years ago. Uh, but for those who are not OG, uh, <laughs> people, they may not know you and how connected you were to white evangelical spaces mm-hmm. and that that expansion out of that, that growth beyond that. Can you tell us why this journey is so important to understanding the context of a book like this? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I got into it, like you said, the white evangelical space at, at 17 and I pastored and served in a ton of positions for 17 years. And so that's, you know, that's half of my life at the time I left at being 34, I'm 40 now. And so, yeah, you know, I don't I don't speak as one without real relationships still. And I don't speak as one that is burned or scorned. You know, I speak as one who I, I really believe God had had and had and has revealed some things that that caused me to go on a on a, a journey that didn't include me staying in those positions is how I will put it. Yeah. And and as you grew, it seemed like you also went through an understanding because oftentimes we talk about journeys, we think about theology, right? And the Christians was like, well, it was a theological journey. It was a it was a denominational journey. It was it was a faith journey. But you grew as a person. And so it's the journey personally for me that stands out in the midst of this. What was happening over the past six years, that 34 to 40 space, where you were stepping away from certain spaces with still some relationships there, and then moving into what you feel is now a a far more healthy place? Yeah. So I would say I found myself as God intended me to be all along. And, and And what I mean by that is, at 17, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, very pro-black. You know, a lot of people may label it as uh, prosperity or health, well, name it, claim it. But none, despite, they're my family, right? And so what we try to do is try to make, you know, the black church or some like it have this certain theology that you can't be in, right? So anyway, so as I come out of Detroit with one family, I get introduced to another quote unquote family of Christianity, but it was an evangelical space and it was all theology. But in 
thinking that you were getting this quote unquote theology that you need, it came with having to sacrifice who you were as a person, like assimilation, um, you know, the way you talk, the way you presented yourself, which God loves. They didn't, you know, and I'm not saying that maliciously. I'm saying it as a as a really subconscious and a cultural uh, reality. So to answer your question, in the past six years, I was really regaining the things that God said, no, this is actually a blessing to the kingdom, to people, uh, whether it's the prophetic edge. I name it myself. I label myself a zealot, you know, as, as Christ said, we know at least one Simon the zealot in his crew of at least one, <laughs> at least one. you know, people will say Peter was as well, the other Simon, but he had at least one who wrote with the sword and the zealots come from the, the line of the Maccabees. And so these are just very passionate, enthusiastic people for the worship of God. And so these are the things that wasn't accepted, you know, it wasn't embraced like that zeal, that enthusiasm, you know, um, so that my stature, my talk, my dress, you know, like all these things, just gaining, gaining these things uh, back in my personhood to make me more potent uh, in the in the kingdom of, of God. Man, you know what I love about this part of your journey? And I wasn't even necessarily going to go here, but I love the way in which you're growing with your family. Mm. And you talk about the growth with your wife, with your children and why that unit you always put forward that unit. Yeah. You know, ever since I met you, it was the the unit, the family, and why that was so such a central part of who you are and who you're growing to be. Talk a little bit about the journey together with them as well. Yeah, that's good. So uh my wife is amazing. I mean, she's gonna have many crowns in heaven. I'm not just saying that because I'm supposed to say that as a husband. Uh my yes. oldest as well. I have three kids, Zipporah, Zane, Baltimore, and Zari. And you know what if if you know an Otis, if you are the Otis, you kind of like the trial and error kid, not on purpose, right? <laughs> so I'm triggered. I'm triggered. <laughs> you know, and so um, I always tell, I always tell my my daughter uh, Zipporah, I go, do you know why you get the double blessing? Why we do more for you than other kids? She goes, why? Well, I said because you had to get the worst of mommy and daddy, <laughs> just so we could figure out how to be the best. You know. Yes. Um, so that's why she gets the, the best. But I say all that to say in that journey, they had to see me go through what I would say is uh, an identity finding, like finding my identity. Like I, I say it like this. Coming into the white space, it was this whole thing of, you know, man got to know their mission and their purpose and things like that. And, I, and I've heard that in the black church, but it was a it was an emphasis in the white church like a never heard it. And so there were times in marriage where I felt like I had to come up or fabricate a mission and a direction and a destination. And internally, I'm like, man, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. But you feel like you had to have this thing and that caused strains and things like that. That caused us being in situations that we probably wouldn't have been in. God had mercy, things like that. And so fast forward, even when I'm on, what I would say is uh, this this messianic understanding of the Hebraic culture. One thing that I think is always important is that you never leave people behind. You don't leave your kids behind. You don't leave your wife behind and you don't shame them. You know, you never see that with Christ. You never see that with, even though Moses, you know, he, he got mad at some stuff. He still wandered in the wilderness. Joshua and Caleb, though they were believing, they had to give 40 years of their life 
because people were unbelieving, but they never, Joshua and Caleb never shamed the people, right? So I'm big on if you have a unit, they should never feel shamed because of your growth, right? They should feel that you're willing to take, you're willing to be as patient no matter how long it takes to get to said destination. Man, that is profound. Um, wow. There's so many threads. We'll have to bring you back to talk about the unit stuff. <laughs> I want to pull some threads on that because I think that's so important. But the last time I saw you in person, obviously it was pre-pandemic two years ago, two, three years ago um, in New Orleans. And you told me about this book. And you told me you had to, this was the book you had to write. This was the book that you could not let go of. And you told me this in a way that was different from writing about other people. You told me this for me. And you said, man, you need to, you need to read this book. So who were you thinking about when you sat down to write this book? Because it seems like every time you talk about it, and I see you talk about with individual people, you're talking to them, for them, in advocacy of them. And who were you thinking of and who was on your mind as you poured out your heart into this project? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, initially I was thinking about all the black men that I know now who were once boys, the millions of black men now who were once boys. I was thinking of my my father uh, who was trying to find himself and he left the house at when I was 12, I was thinking of my, my granddad whom I loved, you know, he's passed, but whom I loved, but he was a very violent man. My uncles, uh, friends that went to prison. And I was thinking overall, uh, you know, black men who died being captured and put into slave castles who were on the boats, who saw their wives getting taken away from them. The black man who, didn't know freedom, who marched for freedom, who got blew up in, you know, said spaces or shot or hung the Emmett Till's, uh, the, the mother of Emmett Till, the father's Emmett Till's, the Ida B. Wells. I was thinking about uh, black men and women from this standpoint that we've never had the legal freedom and now the social freedom to process our, our humanity. And there's, you see what I'm saying? And there's some things that we talk about as an old hat, like, ah, we've had this conversation before. But on this one, we haven't had this conversation in mainstream, right? So when I tell somebody like, hey, you need to read this, what I'm saying is America hasn't allowed us the freedom to process what I'm saying needs to be processed in this book. And Charlemagne, guys like Charlemagne the God and Jay-Z, there were guys who were kind of being shadows of this conversation. But now, uh, and even before them, Lauren Hill, got to give a shout out to Lauren Hill. She she was the first one I remember talking about that uh, in the summer of 2002, you know. Um, so that was one of those things to where, I, you know, I was like, when I sat down, I said, this is key. And then when you think about it not being an old hat, you know, it's like on the boys in the in the hood 
opening scene where Trey's in class as a young kid and he's like, all oh, y'all from Africa. <laughs> he's like, I ain't from Africa. I'm from Crenshaw Mafia. You know, it's just like, not all y'all. <laughs> this, this pertains to all of us. Yeah, that is so... That's unique because of how you're framing this book. Yeah. And the way you're framing it at the jump, from the jump is, we need to redefine blackness. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. feels like such an expansive idea. That feels like, especially from the Christian context, yeah. almost an impossible idea because we're still trying to accept our blackness. Right. We're, tr- we're still trying to accept our blackness. Now we're like, okay, let's redefine it. <laughs> right. Like, people don't read that, like, wait, what? How do I do that? What was the moment for you, though, yeah. you knew that this was, it was imperative. We must redefine what black is in light of all we're saying that we know and accept. Yeah, that's good. So, you know, in the book, I open it up. I talk about going to counseling and telling the counselor my story. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, like I said. And of that, I didn't grow up in the the nice part. It wasn't the projects, but it was still, you know, pimps, prostitutes. You still were uh, in what I would call uh, traumatic or situations of stress every time you walked outside your door. Now, I didn't know that until I sat with this counselor. And so I tell this counselor my story at the age of 37. And, and his first response is, I'm surprised you're still alive. Now, he's not saying that into, in the context of danger, which that would have been true. He's saying that in the context of you haven't processed, you haven't had the freedom to process these stressors that need to be released from your conscience in your body. He, said, he was just saying physically, the way God has made the body, your body should have collapsed. You should have had a heart attack, not because of health, just because of the stress that your body had to store and you and you didn't get the process. I tell it to you like this. I was talking to my sister. This is not in the book. So, um, let's go. Let's go. Yeah, this is, this is a recent conversation. And uh, so I'm the youngest. My sister's middle child. I got an older brother. And I go, Angie, you know, her name's Angela Carr, Angie. I go, Angie, can you believe that all three of us, different personalities are drivers? Like we, we will go and we won't quit. And I go, where did that come from? She goes, Adam, you remember, you remember when uh, mom got shot, we went to the hospital. So my mom was shot five times. So we go to the hospital and we see her, right? I'm 12 at the time and she's 14. My brother's uh, 15. We see her traumatic situation, right? But that ain't even a point. I know it's crazy me saying that's not the point, but that's not even the point. The point is this. I said, Ange, didn't we have to go to school I, uh, pretty soon? She was like, no, Adam, we had to go to school the next day. And I go, Angie, yes, watch this. I go, I go, Angie, why did we go to school the next day? She goes, because our uncle said, you should not put your life on hold because something bad happens. Now think about that, bro. <laughs> so that's what my counselor is saying. I'm, I'm surprised you like. I didn't even get to process my mom's shooting, my dad leave. Like, no, t- like to this day, there was never, outside of talking to my counselor recently, there was never a like, man, how did y'all feel seeing your mom like that? Like, we had to go to school the next day, and that was the reason why. So, Lay that reality on all the black folks from 1619 that didn't get to put their life on hold because their child was taken, 
their husband was castrated because she was raped. I mean, you just go down a list and, and I'm just thinking like, oh no, we have never processed our humanity, like our emotions, things like that. Whew, my, my, my. That is heavy, bro. Isn't that crazy? And, and and there are so many application points that you're talking about that connects to our situation, our and I even feel feel that in my life, right? Yeah. I, I talked about some situations beforehand, mm-hmm. uh, before we, we hopped on the podcast. And when I think about some of the stuff I told you, I'm like, yeah, I just kept moving. Ah, you know, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> ah, you know, it happened. You know, so we and it's like, wait, what? Like, are you, are you good? You know, um, what is that in us, man? What is that in us? It's just like, you know what? It just is what it is. Um, my sister texts me. It's funny we're talking about sisters. My sister texts me after a situation that happened in December, and she was like, "How are you doing? Like, are you are you nervous? Are you concerned? Are you worried?" And yeah. here's what I said to her specifically: uh-huh. Uh-huh. I said, "I don't have the luxury to do that." Come on. <laughs> And she was like, what? I was like, I'm leading. I don't have the luxury to feel. Bro, I'm trying to tell you, man. Like, why, why, why are we still doing that in 2020, 2021? Hey, I, I, I honestly like to, to the tangible answer. I honestly believe it goes back to our foundational existence here in America that we weren't afforded the luxury to process our humanity, right? And and I'm going to give it to you like this. We're so traumatized that we make civil rights equivalent to our humanity. Now, hear what I'm saying. Civil is the idea that a society has already agreed upon who is human. So civil comes after humanity. Right. And so we put so much emphasis on civility, laws, how you should treat us. But we we have never moved before that and say, hey, y'all consider us three fourths of a person for so long. That's going to have some lingering effects. Right. I mean, I mean even look at the people we hail. We hail like the Harriet Tubbins in a good way. Not saying anything negative to Ida B. Wells, you know, Sojourner Truce. And we talk about Nat Turner, Fred Doug. You know, if you go overseas, Queen Zynga, uh, South in South Africa. But but all these what all these people have in common is they had to keep it moving. And we ain't we didn't have time for emotions. Now, we're the only people group who has that story here in America of how we were brought over and how we were seen. So now we have to undo 400 years of, no, you don't get to say this journey is hard or you got stuff in your feet. We're running up north. That, whether you whether you 5, 10, or 50, you got to keep going, right? My, my, my. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, this is so much. Because I feel, I, I really feel like there are listeners that have not, and we're going to get to the book, but I feel like listeners haven't really unpacked this foundational principle of the book and the foundational principle that that you need to, you deserve to be healed. Like you right. deserve to be free. Yeah. And this is where the permission comes in. And in the book, you talk about it from the context of, 
of kingdom therapy. Yeah. And you said that everyone has a healing dialect that has yeah. to be uncovered, which I love. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that healing dialect and what you found when you got these cheat codes, when you got this these principles of life and wisdom that you weren't expecting to receive. Yeah. So I talk about in the book how Don helped me. I call them furious, furious from boys in the hood, but how Don helped me discover the the language of communication of what I needed to heal. And it's it's gonna vary from person to person. You know, I talk about in their birth order. So I say birth order matters, you know, whether where you come, because that does dictate the attention and where the parent was, right? It's it's just true. And so for me, I was the unplanned child of three. My parents had a rocky marriage. And, um, you know, my mother and my father's words, I was the child that did not get parented. You know, that's what they would say. You know, it was like we had to entrust you to God because we were tired. Our marriage was terrible and we didn't plan to have you. So what comes with that is this idea of what they may call like orphan syndrome, like you raising yourself um, and that no one will give you their best. Right. So if mom and dad ain't going to get your best, why would I expect somebody else to do that? Real talk. So it just in processing with Don, we came to that, really that reality that one, I need to communicate because it was one of those things like, hey, you don't get to process your emotions because something bad happens. You got to keep moving. So that was one of those things where I need to be able to, in relationships, I got to say it. So if I don't like something, I have to say I don't like it. If I say something that hurts me, I got to communicate that in a non-aggressive uh, way, which Detroit is very aggressive. Um, and then the other thing is I need to be able to communicate, uh, not expectations, but the transparency that getting someone's best is healing for me. Now it's not like, you see what I'm saying? It's not like I'm trying to string them up, man, you better give me your best. But for me, that's, that's a vulnerability when I, when I say like, Hey man, I need your best because that actually helps me believe that there's a love that I'm not used to getting. Yes, yes. You, you make a statement in the book that I want to read. You said, regularly internalizing trauma gives off a mental stench that we have become accustomed to smelling. Mm. Smells. Mm. Uh, I was having this conversation with Dr. Christina Edmondson um, with, with her for my church about family trauma. It's like you, when you stay away from your house for years, you come back into your house, you smell things you didn't smell before. Right. Smell the, the, the stench, or you just smell the distinct aroma. Could be Mm -hmm. good, could be bad. It's just a distinct aroma when you come back. Can you, can you talk about how important it is for our listeners to uncover that? How important it is for Mm -hmm. them to say, it's, because we talk about therapy in a in a in a in a theoretical sense. We just yeah. and sometimes I feel like we want a therapist just to say we have a therapist. <laughs> right. Talk yeah. about the connection between okay, what is healing for you produces X, Y, and Z for your future, for your purpose, for who God has created you to be. Yeah. So I I I would say, as one guy put it, a neuroscientist that's a believer. Uh, in Christ. He says it like this. He said, look, if somebody is physically unhealthy and everybody knows it, we're not going to shame them 
for going to get their physical reality in control. And then once they're quote unquote healthy, we're not going to shame them for going to the the um, gym and staying consistent. You know, where we'll, we'll actually praise them like, oh, man, that's where I aspire to be. I want to be more consistent. But he said, is this thing with the, the, the mind, mind health, mental health, you can your mind can literally be out of shape. It could have fatigue. It could have obesity, all these things that we see with the physical body. And he says, so when it comes to mental health, we need to take the stigma away that you only go if you're, quote unquote, crazy. You know, that's like somebody trying to get in shape only if they had a heart attack. Now, we see those cases, but that's not the extremes that we see people getting healthy. So to answer your question, the importance is seeing it just like health. Like you want to you want a mind just like you want a physical body to be in the place the way God intended it for optimum output to serve people the way he intended you to serve them from your mind and your body, right? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But a lot of our, our minds aren't healthy. And it's, it's that tension. They're not healthy because legally, as black folks, we weren't able to process our humanity. So in being the great people that we are, we had to redefine what it meant to be human, i.e. black. And that meant you just don't talk about things. But now... Those legalities have changed. And I'm saying now we need to come out. We don't need to survive like this anymore. We get to thrive. And our generation and the next generation should have something that our parents didn't, though we can help our parents have a redemption as well. And as you think about your redemption with John and with your counselor, what was that? What motivated you to say? It's what was that first step you took? I should say. Yeah, like says, it's time. Like I need to do this, and, and let me go and do this because I think some people are like, "Man, I should get a therapist. I should get a counselor." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's like which it's just becoming in vogue for us to talk about. Right. But you know the what's that first step to say? Oh no, this is massively important, and yeah. I'm going to I'm going to reach out. I'm going to make that call. Yeah, no, that's good. I would say marriage. Um, we've had cracks in our marriage. Uh, I'll be married 14 years, April 20th. Uh, praise God. It's National Smokeout Day and Hitler's birthday. You know, we oh. try to redeem it. There you go. Um, but it was, we, we've had, we had some cracks in our marriage and it was on my side. You know, my wife would talk about, you know, her stance, but it was on my side. And we just got to a low point 10 years in of where I was just questioning, like, yo, um, did I, I ruin this woman's life? She didn't have kids. <laughs> Relationally, we just missing each other. And it feels like we're not thriving, you know, and this don't seem healthy. It don't seem honoring the guy. And so I was just low. And I, I just remember uh, one of my brother was t- telling me, like, hey, man, you got to get new tools. The tools you've used allows you to survive, but God doesn't want you to just survive. And he was like, man, I don't know what new tools you need to get, but you need to get new tools. So then when I came back from a, a, a trip in Nepal, I was talking to one of my friends and he said, man, you, you should go connect with this guy, Don. And that's really what it was. It was like, you, you're so low and you're juxtaposed to the fact, I know this ain't God's best 
for my wife, for my kids, for myself. I know this is not what he intended. I don't know what it is, but I don't know this. I know this ain't it, <laughs> you know. And so I was so low and so desperate that it pushed me in that direction. And man, praise God, he he uh, showed up. You say at in the it's kind of the big statement for framing the book. Embracing a Christian identity doesn't make you soft. Embracing a black identity does not make you less Christian. And so you juxtapose not necessarily an equal value, of course, but you juxtapose as kind of these avatars of existence, Jay Z and Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, why Why is it important for you to cling to that that hip hop, that urban side of you? Mm-hmm. I feel as though people embrace blackness or black identity generally, but they don't actually hang on to the things that they truly appreciate. So you just start embracing things generally, but don't actually yeah. say, okay, I bring this with me. I literally take this with me into all of life, just like I would my Christian identity and my faith. Yeah. Why was it so important for you to take hip hop with you? Yeah, that's a good question. So this gets into my my journey of the past six years. So what I've been learning from the Messianic Hebraic perspective is Yeshua doesn't just give you salvation and erase your personhood. He shows you how to direct it in the right spot for the kingdom. Now, that is not what I learned when I got into evangelicalism. <laughs> like, and I, and I say it by way of an illustration, you know, or a, a walking illustration. So in John 17, Christ could have prayed for anything, but he prayed that uh, his father in heaven would keep his disciples in the world and that they will become one. Now, that's very important because the disciples did not come from the same regions. You have again, we talked about the zealots. Uh, we uh, So you got that region, very zealous, very fiery. We got the Essenes. They were north of Jerusalem, and so they were like, yo, culture ain't nothing redemptive about the culture. It's very corrupt. So you have people in this 12 from the Essenes. You have people in the 12 that would have been come from that Sadducees and Pharisees area, right? So Sadducees, all about the temple, but they got corrupted. Pharisees, all about keeping the law. And then you have people from the Herodians in the 12. That's all about the culture. They would have said, yo, y'all too pagan and idolatrous. The reason I bring that up is you got five different walks of life and they would have never kicked it with one another if Yeshua wasn't there. But he says, y'all need to be one. And what does that mean? Y'all need to retain who y'all are pointed directly at the kingdom, but y'all need to be one. Now, to land the plane, so it's so important for that that hip hop telling the narrative, giving a voice to people who are oppressed, who are the minority, who are down and out. That's valuable in the kingdom, right? And if 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 a person from this hip hop culture feels once they get quote unquote saved that now they need to be middle class and uh, upper class and they need to obtain riches and a place in a society where they don't ever have to speak out and everything is just about uh, quote unquote, the gospel and the gospel doesn't speak to the person in a low position. You're taking away the gift that God gave the person 
when they were born into that culture that could be pointed in the right direction for the kingdom. And so that's why it's very important not to separate the two because Yeshua didn't separate the two. And as we talk about that integration, you you speak about living as an integrated person, right? Living as one, living together in all of yourself, bring your whole self. Yeah. What about that are you still trying to cling to? Because it's not an overnight process. It's yeah. six years. Yeah. And so how quickly did you feel like you could actually do that with authenticity? And what are you still trying to develop? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, a lot of it has come through the process of talking with Don, this, this, you know, Don, my kingdom therapist. And then, you know, I got messianic rabbi mentors, you know, I lead these things called Torah clubs, which are, you know, um, really the messianic approach to the Old and New Testament. And so I say all that to say is, um, it just, it, it just really gives you the perspective of intention of God's intention. Right. And I think some of us, some of us, maybe most of us, or maybe I just say in my experience, we understand intention based off of what someone else has told us from a cultural lens. Mm. You see what I'm saying? And Man, it's 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 so withering, right? You, we're withering people. Their 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 quality qualities that God gave them, right? I'll, I'll I'll put it like this. I remember I was talking to I was having this conversation. Now this may turn the convo, and you may say, "Dog, we gotta do a part two. But I was talking to my wife <laughs> last night about the tragic nature of eating of the tree of good and evil, and what we we're talking about. Uh, or the woman's uh, body and guy specifically, and I and she said, "Babe, how is it that you 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 don't see me through this lens of how the culture sees me? You're not putting all these things on me that I got to do this, look like this, and blah blah blah." And I said, "Babe, that's easy." I said because I stopped feeling I needed to keep both the knowledge of good from the scriptures and the knowledge of evil from social media and movies in my brain. You, you see what I'm saying? So I, I go, when I let go, having understanding and knowledge of evil, and I'm saying evil could just be, I don't need to follow that girl anymore. She, she wears some things that may have me juxtapose my wife next to her. I don't need to follow her. I don't need to read that anymore. No, I don't need to see Game of Thrones because in Game of Thrones, yes, you, you got a good story, but there are certain images that it's a knowledge of evil that I don't need in my brain. You, you, you see what I'm saying? And so what happened is we or Adam and Eve knew sex, intimacy in each other's body in the good way. Only good. That's all they knew. But then when they ate of the fruit, they knew the good of sex and then the evil of sex. Right. So there's the sex and marriage and then there's sex in the pornographic sense. Right. That's the knowledge of good and evil. But before the tree, we don't know good and evil. There's food in a good way for sustenance and celebration and Thanksgiving. But there's food for the gluttonous way. You see what I'm saying? And, and that's that's one of those things to where I don't know. I feel like Satan is always trying to give us 
both the knowledge of uh, we we know the knowledge of good because God has redeemed us, but Satan is always trying to put before us that knowledge of uh, evil as well. Yeah, that is yeah, we do need a part two because you just uh, we just lost all our Game of Thrones listeners. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's just me, man. I'm like John the Baptist. I, I ain't telling you to come out to the wilderness where I'm at. You know, I'm just saying like, hey, where you at? Just consider this. You know. That's really actually helpful because that's different than the don't do this because we said not to do this. Right. But introduce this for your healing and wholeness. Think about mm. what would cause you to flourish at an optimum level versus where you sh- where you feel as though you're participating in something just to be in a cultural conversation. I think right. that is a that is definitely something that we should have more conversations about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, kind of as we wrap up, man. What's your hope for this next, the next crew that's coming? Because I've been talking with Jamar about this a lot, mm. that those who are in their 20s and even graduating high school, yeah. they need materials like this, like other things that he's producing, like so many other people around us are, are doing yeah. to take that next step and to take that, to grow into themselves, maybe faster and healthier than what we did yeah. uh, but also to be able to feel that permission quicker than we did because they're, yeah. they're truly to produce and experience something that we're still trying to or that we have now later on in life what's your hope for that generation as they pick up this book yeah my hope is that you know and i say this in the book that they will create beautiful culture speeches you know, sermons, poetry, music, movies, etc. They'll create these beautiful things and it doesn't have to come from trauma, right? So I, I'm not of the ilk that believes, uh, let's just say Jay-Z's Black Album, he had to have the situation that he grew up in in order to have that. I, I, I don't think greatness comes from trauma only. I think that's God's mercy to redeem the trauma. But I don't think greatness comes from trauma only. Like you take a Paul. Paul, he never had a bad thing happen in his life, right? He he, he aced everything. He was, he was from a, a, a rich family. And God says, you're mine, <laughs> right? Um, and so my, my hope is that the next generation will see that they can be dynamic, Um they can be powerful, they can be healed and whole, and that there can be a blackness that thrives and creates immense wonder for the kingdom, but it can be from healing and not from uh, internalized pain. Wow. You've given us permission, brother. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate it, man. The book is Permission to be Black, My Journey with Jay-Z and Jesus by our good friend, A.D. Thomason. Bro, thank you so much uh, for writing this book and for pushing us all towards healing and finding that healing dialect. And I think a lot of people are going to get free because of it. No, man, appreciate you for being willing to uh, talk, talk through it.
This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.